The second Sunday in Advent is associated often with peace. And yet we live in a world right now that feels very unsettled. And if you happen to be in the state of Michigan right now, you know of the atrocities that happened last week in Oxford. And the atrocities that happen all the time that we're seeing on the news where lives are taken so unnecessarily, where tragedy seems to just kind of permeate. And so to even think about peace right now reminds me of the events in December of 2012 with Sandy Hook in Connecticut of where this atrocity happens and yet we're supposed to be focused on peace and if we are focused on peace does that seem like wait a minute we are not paying attention to or we are misguided or just unrealistic and so as we're focusing on peace today and specifically of discovering our purpose in peace. How does that begin to actually look? How does that work in a chaotic world of when we do experience these atrocities, these tragedies of life, of even on the everyday kind of scale where we have challenges and situations that keep us unsettled, that keep us in the unknown, that raise those anxieties and those fears? How do we begin to discover our purpose in peace with a world that is in unrest. So today we are actually going to look at a story found in Matthew. It's of the Magi, of the Magi, Joseph, Herod, and the Christ child. And often this story is only told after Christmas because the Christ child has been born. Jesus has been born and the Magi come with presents and there's generally this excitement but today, it really speaks into the situation of how do we find peace? How do we discover our purpose in peace when the world around us doesn't feel like it's even possible? That that's an unrealistic way of living. It's like, oh, well, maybe if I stick my head in the ground, under the ground, and don't listen to anything, maybe then I can find some peace. And we're going to look at this scripture in connection to the carol of Away in the Manger. And Away in the Manger is often called Luther's Lullaby after Martin Luther. And it has been attributed at some points to the theologian, the great reformation, the reformer, Martin Luther. But what we have to know is that that is actually not most likely true. In fact, the, the carol shows up in the 1800s. It's thought maybe that it shows up in celebration of Luther for his 400th birthday. It's written. And yet it does have this quality of being a lullaby, of being very peaceful, of being very peaceful and focused upon this child that has been born in a chaotic world. And so we're going to go back and forth and through it today. And so let us begin in Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ child was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people, Israel. All right, so a couple things to know here. First is about the Magi. The Magi, they are sometimes called uh, wise men. Sometimes they are called astrologers. The Magi are understood. They, they kind of look for things that are in nature. They, they kind of respond that way. That's the way they follow. And the Magi weren't necessarily respected by the people. They weren't necessarily considered the authorities, the, the scholars of the world. And so for the Magi to have this information is to make Herod look foolish. And King Herod, real guy in history, was a brutal authoritarian dictator who was power-hungry, greedy, and who would kill anyone that stood in his way as he worked with the Romans to keep his power, to keep his rule. He wasn't a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. Herod, Herod loved power. Herod loved greed. He loved that control. He made idols of those things. Herod had many idols. Sometimes we think of idols as little gold statues, but that's not really what an idol is. An idol, an idol is anything and can be anything. In fact, it can even start as something that we need, something that's good to value, something that's necessary for life, but it becomes an idol. Anything can become an idol when we put all of our time, resources, and energy into it. We are worshiping it because we think if we just hold on to whatever it is, if we just follow and if we are just guided by, then and hold on to it to the extent that we are willing to do anything for it, including destroy our lives and to destroy anyone else's life. We begin to make it an idol. When we think that that thing, if we could just get a hold of it, our life will be great, our life will be grand, our life will be perfect. Because we see it as saving us from something. An idol begins to take over and to destroy our lives and other people's lives as we hold on to it tighter and tighter. And Herod, Herod has his idol of power so tight, so tight, that he is paranoid about a child being born. A child not even born in a palace, a child 
born in a manger, born with the animals, born in the stable, born to parents who aren't famous, who don't have great wealth, who have no power, to think about that. He's made something an idol to the point that it's, it's going to cause him to be paranoid over a child that is born and make him take action against others that is devastating. And so sometimes we have to realize maybe we don't have the idol of power or greed. Maybe it's something else. But that anything, anything in our lives, as it begins to consume us, begins to consume our time and energy, that we are willing to hold on to it to the destruction of ourselves and others, that we know, well, it's not really healthy, but we are so intent on it that it can become an idol. And anything, it can be being right, it can be the, our comfort, it can be something that we think, well, how can relationships become an idol? But they can. Anything can become an idol. And so, Herod kind of has us pull back and has us challenge, especially as we're trying to talk about peace. Finding our purpose in peace. Continuing on in verses 7 through 9. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out for them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. All right. So Herod... Herod finds out somebody knows something and he's paranoid because he's got this idol of needing to control, this idol of power. And so he calls for the Magi secretly, which means he's embarrassed. He is embarrassed that he doesn't have the information, but he wants it so bad that he's willing to talk to them. And so he calls them in and he lies to them. He says, okay, when, when did it first appear? Where are you kind of headed? Okay, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. So Herod is cultivating this lie in his head to others because of the idols that he has, right? Herod is not at peace, right? We could say, okay, Herod, Herod, you, you, you are not living a peaceful life. And the Magi's response we have no response from them. We don't know if they bowed, if they just were silent. There is nothing recorded. I kind of like to think they just stood there, they nodded, and then they, they went off. They were like, we are out of here. We are gone because what you are focused on, oh my goodness, this is not anywhere close to peace. This is not how we want to live. What in the world is going on? And so the Magi, the Magi go. The Magi, right, they get to be focused on something different because they stood over the place where the child was. 
Herod's focused upon idols, on keeping those idols. The Magi are focused on finding this child. On finding this child, and I kind of think about this verse, that first verse of away in the manger. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars and the bright sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. That there is something peaceful about it, that the Magi are like, no, wait, we are going to go find this child. Something is different here. Something is different than Herod, right? The Magi didn't agree to Herod. Like I said, they may have nodded and gone off, but they weren't like, oh, great Herod, yes, we will. No, no, that's not what they did. They went and found the child because they are focused on something different. They are focused on peace, on a different way of living on a different way of understanding the world that this child seems to be bringing. There is something significant about this child. Maybe they don't fully realize, but something significant here, and they're willing to listen. They're willing to discover. They're willing to find. And to think about that for ourselves, of what are we willing to do to find our purpose in Willing to turn away from the Herod, the idols of this world, to something that is different, that's calling to us, that's different. Child, a small child like this, doesn't have much power, has no wealth, has no status in society, cannot deem them all like, hey, promotion time. But instead they go looking for something different for something that they don't fear. Herod fears because he's got idols. But the Magi, the Magi, it's something different. Continuing on in verses 10 through 12. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honor him. Then they opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Think about that for a second. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They've been on this journey for a while. We don't know how long. We don't really know how old Jesus is. Obviously, it's closer to the birth. But we aren't quite sure. And the action that Herod's going to take out of his paranoia, out of his idols, he's going to focus on those who are to and down. So that kind of gives a sense that, of the time frame of Jesus' life. And here, they come upon him. They come upon Mary is there. They are at, it sounds like, a home, whether it's their home, their family's home, whose home, we're not quite sure. But they come and they find him, and then they fall to their knees. They fall to their knees. They are submitting themselves to this child. They are kind of in awe. They are like, wait a minute, something is happening here. Something is different. And even though the passage doesn't say the word peace, it does say that they were filled with joy. And one of the ways, joy is a choice. 
Joy is an everyday choice of our lives. Joy is not based upon events. It can be based upon how we respond to an event. And they are filled with joy because they've got peace, because they are focused on a different way of living, and they are living into this purpose when they are able to bring something significant of themselves, of who they are, and they submit themselves to Jesus. They submit themselves to a different way of understanding the world than Herod. And so to think about that, to think about that connection, because I, I wouldn't go around saying that people don't want joy in their lives. I mean, right? Think about the celebrations, the ways that we like to celebrate because we're trying to get at joy. And so to think about that, to take the step back before we get to joy of thinking about, wait a minute, if part of having joy is that we need to understand peace, what peace is, how peace is part of our lives, how we are purposefully living in peace, we have to begin to ask ourselves what peace is because so often we want to make peace only, well, it's calm, there's no unrest, it's kind of silent. We're just sitting at the edge of the beach, maybe just looking at the ocean waves. Nothing is wrong. Everything is the way that we want it. Sometimes we try to make that peace. And here we see a little bit different element because the Magi are having to respond, right? Herod, Herod, they, they know, Herod wants to kill the kid. Herod has got this idol. Herod is trying to institute his way of living that is so destructive to other people's lives, and he's willing to do anything to get it done. And the Magi are like, yeah, we're going to go home a different way. And so to think about that, of what is peace, how do the Magi have peace as they are filled with joy when the world is kind of chaotic? And one of the great quotes at this point that I often have at this time of year is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian of the early 20th century, and he is very famously known as a theologian who was tortured and died at the hands of the Nazis because of what he stood for. And yet he still was able to write about love. He was still able to write about having peace. He was still able to write about joy and about hope. And so you go, wait a minute, what is peace then? If it doesn't mean that everything's kind of perfect, if everything is smooth sailing, if everything is just calm, what is kind of peace? And so he has this great quote, uh, which I shared last year, of having peace means knowing oneself born knowing oneself loved, knowing oneself protected. It means being able to be still, quiet still. Having a peace with people means being able to build unshakably on their faithfulness. Having peace means having a homeland in the unrest of the world. Bonhoeffer had a homeland in a God of love, in a God that said, you belong, right? Home is about belonging. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us, that we belong in love and that no one can take that away from us. 
No one can take that identity because that identity comes from God. And so the Magi are able to have peace. We can begin to find our purpose and peace on this journey when we are willing to go, wait a minute, I am centered. I am centered on a God of love, on a God that calls to us in different ways of living that is not like Herod. That we take and find satisfaction, not in an idol, but instead in knowing that we are loved. And when it says knowing that we are protected, there are all kinds of things that may go through our heads, especially that our culture says, well, we need this to be protected, we need that to be protected. And Bonhoeffer, sitting in a jail cell, who will ultimately be killed days before the, the front, the European front of the war comes to an end, that he actually, he actually gets that to be protected means to understand that we belong to God and no one else, that we belong to a God of love and joy that created us for love and joy and that nobody gets to take that away from us. And so to begin to center our lives on that foundation begins to create a peace, a peace in ourselves and the peace that we interact with others, a peace that filters through of when somebody maybe comes, when there is unrest in the world, when there are situations that we are able to filter it through that lens of saying, wait a minute, I am still loved by God. I was created in love and joy, and you don't get to take that away. In fact, I belong. And if this conversation about belonging is so vital, is so vital in the culture that we live in, and maybe we don't struggle with it. Maybe we ourselves are like, well, no, I've always felt like I belonged and I belong to God, and that's not the struggle. But right now, we live in a time where our young people, our teenagers, our young adults, there are so many others in this world that feel like they don't belong, and that when we don't feel like we belong, that something happens to us, that we begin to then disconnect from others. We begin to disconnect, and horrible tragic things can sometimes happen when we don't feel like we belong. And even on a very basic level of not feeling like we belong, there is a sense of loneliness to it. And so to begin to think about that, to begin to think about that part of peace is knowing that we belong to a God of love and that we were created for love and joy and that no one can take that away from us. They may try, but no one can ultimately take that away from us. And it makes us begin to respond to situations differently. Just like the Magi respond, they're not going to go tell Herod where the child is. They're also not going to get into a fight with Herod. They're like, wait a minute, you know what? I think we're going to go this way. Our journey is going to take us away from this situation that understanding that peace, that cultivating, understanding our purpose and peace has us responding to situations and people 
in ways that maybe that maybe are a little bit unexpected, but are ultimately guided by being created in love and joy. Continuing on in verses 13 through 15. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. All right, so this, this part of the scenario, this part of the story, this part of Jesus' story is connected to the story of Moses, to the story out of Egypt, to the story of how Moses survived when Pharaoh said, kill all the children to and under, because again, there was fear, there was paranoia because of those idols that Pharaoh had cultivated, that Pharaoh held on to. And so Herod here, we see Herod's idols on full display and what he's willing to do, whose lives he's willing to destroy to keep his idols safe. And yet, Joseph, Joseph who comes into this picture, uh, this story of Jesus, understands that he belongs in this story, understand that he belongs in this moment because he belongs to God, and so he is listening. He is listening for what to do, for where to go, for how to maneuver, for how to move forward, and so he is able to do so. He listens and he moves He takes the necessary steps. He takes the necessary actions from a place of understanding his home, his belonging in a world of unrest, in a world that wants to take, in a world that is very brutal, in a world that wants us to put our faith in things that will never satisfy and will only cultivate fear. Here, Joseph is like, all right, let's go. And it's almost like Joseph is also being connected to Esther 4.14, which is, maybe you were born for such a time as this. And to realize that the Magi and Joseph aren't superhuman. They aren't. They they can make choices, but they are listening. They are trying to live purposefully into peace. They are trying to purposefully understand how they belong in the story of life, in the story of God, in the story of Jesus. And so they begin to respond in different ways to the world around them. And they understand that they were born for such a time as this. And it's easy to think of certain people, but maybe we don't think of ourselves. But what if we began to think of ourselves as being born in such a time as this because we have been given gifts and abilities, because we were created in love and joy to be able to respond to those around us, to the world around us in such a way that maybe we are able to bring peace, 
to bring a conversation of belonging, of living into peace with other people. And so to begin to think about that, maybe we are born for such a time as this, even though it can feel so painful and so chaotic and there's such anxieties and fears, but maybe some gift that we have been given, some ability that we have been given by God would actually be very useful in the community, in our friendships, in our families for such a time as this. And so we see Joseph living into, discovering his purpose of living in peace. Finishing up in verses 19 through 23. After King Herod died, an angel from the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Acrilius ruled over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he went to the area of Galilee. He settled in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. So, still unrest, chaos in the world, and Joseph is listening Joseph knows who he belongs to. Joseph understands something about how he is to live, how he is part of this story. The ability he has to engage the world around him, to engage with his family, to engage with this child in such a way that it protects and produces life. It helps them to thrive even though everything's kind of swirling around them, even though they've got to get up and move, because sometimes living into peace requires us to move in different directions in ways that are maybe unexpected. And Joseph does it. Joseph is able to do it because he makes the choice to do so. And when we're thinking about that, the choice that we have of how we live, of how we engage, of living purposefully in peace, of how we engage with those around us, of how we choose to understand, okay, if peace is knowing that from the very moment we are born that we were loved, if it is about living in peace, is about knowing that we belong to a God of love, that we were created in love and joy, that we are created with abilities to respond to the world around us in our uniqueness. If we begin to live into that, lives are changed. Jesus' life, Mary's life, the life of so many others that will come after are changed because Joseph purposefully, purposefully lived into peace. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking through that and how do we do that, this end of away in the manger, be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray that the end of that third verse, or the, the beginning of the third verse, 
right there gives us a sense of how Joseph lived into it. Be near me, Lord Jesus. Be near me and love me, I pray. You know, this week there's been a lot of talk about prayer, of praying for what happened up in Oxford, praying for those families, and that certainly should be. But here's an aspect of prayer. Prayer is this conversation with God of, of asking for comfort, of asking for our needs to be met. But here's what prayer is also. Prayer is also propelling us to respond in the ways that we can, propelling us forward in the situation that it's not prayer is not this magic kind of thing where we say hey God I need you to take care of it while I go watch some TV or I hide away but instead prayer is this conversation of asking for God's guidance of trying to understand of listening and being propelled in new ways as we are called to live into peace. And so as we are thinking about those prayers that have been said this week, really the prayers for the last 25, the last 100, the last millennium, all of human history of understanding how that conversation with God begins to propel us forward, begins to shove aside those idols to say, you know what, no more, there is no satisfaction in those. Those only create destruction. Those things only are meant to leave us empty and unsatisfied. I'm going in a new direction that calls each of us to engage living purposefully, purposefully living into peace And that might mean that we have to have some hard conversations, that we might have to be very self-aware of the things that we struggle with so that we begin to know and try to figure out how to respond. That it might mean having conversations where we go, what can I do in families, friends, communities, schools, throughout? of saying, how can I be of help here? Instead of just going, that's awful, and moving on. How might we live this day? How might we be challenged by Joseph's, by the Magi's response to Herod, to that whole situation of chaotic unrest unrest in the world? How might we respond in such a way that we begin to find our purpose, our purpose in peace? Amen.